All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Living with Will. I got a really exciting project series parts that we're about to expose you to. But basically, a long story short, to sum it up, I got a three-part series that we're going to release, a conversation with Dr. Williams, uh, an incredible psychiatrist, entrepreneur, social justice activist, just a, a brilliant mind that I'm so grateful and pleased to be able to share this interview with you guys. If you like the podcast, please comment, like, subscribe, share, anything that can help me get my word across to get more people to hear what we're talking about. So thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, I appreciate you. Welcome back. Successes and blessings. And welcome back to another week of Living with Will. open and, and willing to doing an interview with me. Let me start with that. No problem, man. No problem. I am I'm very impressed with what you're doing. Thank you. That means the world. But let's 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 um, segue from me as these interviews are about the people being interviewed. And let's let's talk about you a little bit. So we met through the fact that you're a psychiatrist and I was curious about how that path in your life kind of got started. Um, so I am the son of a school nurse, my mom, and my dad was a math and science teacher in high school. That's where they met. And he went back and got a PhD in psychology, and he became a school psychologist. So I tell people that I've grown up in a multimodal mental health institution, <laughs> which was my home. <laughs> so you were telling me that... Well, well, before we got on the call, I was asking about the difference between psychology and psychiatry, and I was curious, was there a moment where you were considering going towards psychology and then switched, or why was the reason that you chose one over the other? Um, I mean, to be honest, I definitely love learning, and I've always been interested in math and science, mm -hmm. and um, psychiatry um, goes through the medical school route, and psychology does not. So I was, uh, you know, fascinated in fascinated with my psychology courses in undergrad. So I was a psychology pre-med major at Princeton and, you know, just loved both of them and how, you know, basically thought and molecules and um, neurons and, um, you know, what we eat, what we drink, how we sleep how all of that combines into our mental health. Mm. Hearing you say it like that is fascinating. My brain did not work that way in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, well, just be honest, too. They have a, a thing about a lot of people who go into mental health are actually going in to actually try to figure themselves out as well. Hmm. And so I have ADHD, and so definitely I didn't know 
that I had that officially until, you know, I was already in medical school, actually residency technically. And, um, you know, I think that's part of it. You know, you're trying to figure out yourself. Hmm. That's unreal. Did you know when you were going to Princeton that you would be going there to then go into medical school? Or did you find that out while you were like, did that thought cross your mind at school before? Well, actually, it's funny that you say that. So my dad, as I told you, when he got his PhD um, after I was born and um, he was thinking about medical school, but um, says that, you know, my mom kind of talked him out of it, but you know, if you knew my dad, nobody could talk him out of anything. So he decided quite not to do it, and so I was getting a gentle push from him to do the, you know, live through your son, you know, go through medical school for my dad thing. But it really, you know, became my own, you know, desire. I think when I went into Princeton, I was actually thinking about being a um, a dentist and. Hmm. Um, um, maxillofacial surgeons that had a cousin that was one, and that was pretty fascinating, seeing how he can reconstruct people's faces who've been in serious accidents and stuff. And, um, you know, just basically trying to figure myself out, and I've always been the kind of person that people can come to and talk with and just kind of share with. And so I think it just naturally, you know, led me to being a psychiatrist. I mean, and you definitely have a gift for it. I, I, you know, people that listen to this might not know me as well as as some people who know me in real life, obviously. But when I was in high school, man, and I, I don't know what was going on with me, but I had some anger issues that somehow through our conversations, man, I'm now able to like understand and like I'm able to move through the world in an easier and more manageable way because of, you know, conversations that me and you have had. So definitely glad that you went that route. Thank you. Thank you, man. Experience. I appreciate that. No, it's and I true. think one of my gifts, too, so I got that from my father, but I get my humor through my mom. Mm. And I think Love that, it. you know, when, you can, when you're able to mix, you know, really complex uh, psychological um, constructs with humor and get people to laugh at themselves and even at some of the, you know, toughest things that they go through, it, it takes it to a different level it's like it's light you know it's not work you know and it's fun and then you can remember it with the joke right mm. and so um you know i think that that's been a blessing that, that, that both my parents helped me with and that's a beautiful and that's a beautiful thing man and, and it's so true too i i heard someone say this and i'm blanking on who said it in the moment but they were kind of speaking about this battle for justice that we're seeing in the world right now and kind of this renewed spirit um, carrying over from the civil rights movement and part of what someone was saying was exactly that you know like when when it's really tough work but it's but it's valuable work it shouldn't feel draining it should feel energizing the, the way that yes. using humor to help someone can be as well so I appreciate that and um, yes. yeah and part of part of what uh, what you came on to the podcast kind of was off the the conversation we've been having about social social justice so I wanted to kind of talk to you about that what made you kind of search for and and want the best out of the world kind of what what started you on your social justice journey you know honestly i think it's being a black man in america mm. right because um and an educated black man in america mm -hmm. right because 
you know, it's like a very interesting, you know, invisible man kind of thing because people have stereotypes. I mean, we all have stereotypes. Um, black people have stereotypes, right? Of everybody else, just like everybody else has stereotypes of everybody else, right? I mean, that's just part of human nature is mm -hmm. you try to figure out ways to understand your environment. And when you see something that replicates, you try to, you know, figure out what is it about that thing that keeps showing up in your world, right? And what are the things that I can attach to it so I don't have to relearn everything every day, right? Mm -hmm. So stereotypes can help, but they can hurt too, mm -hmm. right? And so no question, you know, just moving through life, right, as an interested, happy, you know, want to be happy, want to make friends kind of guy, um, you know, when it doesn't go well, you want to figure out why didn't that go well, right? Right. And so, no question. Um, I think my father um, said one time when I was in um, probably like second grade, maybe third grade, he got a call that I um, got into a fight, right? And I, didn't, I don't fight. Right? That's, that's not me. I'm happy. I'm cool. And he was like, what happened? And I said that the person called me the N-word, right? And so I punched him. And my dad was like, well, what is the N-word? I said, I don't know, but I don't know. I didn't like the way he said it. Mm. And so I think it was more how you're treated mm -hmm. than even the words, mm -hmm. right? Because to me, the words don't really matter. I mean, mm -hmm. I shouldn't even have to say the N-word. I mean, mm -hmm. we all have said it. And um, one of the funniest things I remember on TV was Richard Pryor uh, being interviewed by Barbara Walters. And she asked him why he used the N-word so much. And he's like, N-word? What are you talking about? You know, he pretended like he didn't know what she was talking about. And he finally got her to get close to it. He goes, oh. And so she, she finally got her to say it. And he was like, oh, nigga. Right? Oh, okay. You know, that's probably not the first time you said it either. Right? And you hear the cameraman cracking up in the background. Because clearly, everybody in America uses nigger right or you know white boys or crackers or you know all sorts of different you know ethnic you know negative um, platitudes right mm -hmm. that are you know i think unuseful in today's world right but were stereotypical and used a lot as america was developing right because you know this this when you when you make a, um, a, a a stew, right? Or you know they, they talk about America as being, um, you know, we'll just go with stew, a melting pot, right? But it's like a stew. Mm. You don't put everything in at once, right? Mm. Everything gets put in, kind of one at a time or a couple at a time. And you know it's just been interesting doing the historical um, dive I've been doing ever since Trump got elected. To, to just watch and learn how the different quote-unquote races, you know, started off and how they are now, right? Because one of the wildest things that I learned was that there were like 26 races considered real races 
in the 1600s when America was just beginning mm-hmm. as the colonies. And we can't even imagine that right now. Right. Yeah, no, it's so, we, were, we were speaking about that before the interview started, about the 26, 26 ethnicities, races of the of the 1600s America and you know look at how look at how we've dwindled it down to things like the census where it's like you're Hispanic white Asian black or that's it or other they put it all into an other box it's pretty outrageous right and America was really the first um organized you know group of stations I was not say but states or you know um nation right that used white right because in europe they didn't really use white right you know and and part of those 26 ethnicities were you know um in america were you know differential um groupings of countries in europe and so you know like even the, the funniest one was italy there were three races amongst the italians hmm. right and, um, you know, if you, if you look at it, like Italy, you know, is, is not bigger than Texas, right? right. But there were three races in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it was a northern, which was more, you know, quote, unquote, Aryan, you know, white and, um, you know, very polished, educated. And then there was a middle and then there was a southern, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the southern was, um, you know, more dark um but not and it's funny to even say the word dark because it's dark amongst italians right mm-hmm. so it's not like you know they are black that they were less pink is mm-hmm. what i'll say right mm-hmm. and so um so there were three and just italy alone right and um you know germany and you know like lots of the countries technically they called you know they referred to them as racist back then. And so one of the, I think, great things about America is that we were able to unite white people as white, right? Because mm. clearly, you know, that's part of the reason that the um, <laughs> that I think that the Euro is not being successful is because there's so much nationalism amongst the European, you know, um, continent. Mm they can't really pull themselves together and and i can even say that as a black man right that that was a great thing about america right like it basically brought white people together as white Mm. and it allowed them to you know unite and feel you know this membership into this club Mm -hmm. and um what the amazing thing about that is that that didn't happen really until the civil war so there were hundreds of years of that not being so before the Civil War. Mm. And our history books, they don't talk about that mm-hmm. at all. No. Kind of like how um, they, that was part of the reason for racism, right? The, orig- the origin of racism was they wanted to, they wanted to convince kind of the, the poor beforehand indentured servants who were also white, like the Irish and Italians, it was kind of a way of, of giving them a superiority, right? I, I'm, I'm misremembering yeah. the, the, the origins of it, but it was around the time where indentured servants were kind of given their freedom and, and assimilated into being like the quote-unquote white. Right. Well, it's, so it's, it's great that you even put that word indentured servant in, right? Because mm. no question about it, 
like, um, and I'll just name a couple of the books. So White Cargo is the first book that I got when I was interested in it. And um, it's the forgotten history of Britain's white slaves in America. Mm-hmm. So White Cargo, the forgotten history of Britain's white slaves in America by John Jordan and Michael Walsh. And it talks about how the first, you know, white folks, right, here in America were primarily slaves. So, mm-hmm. like, that whole word indentured servant mm-hmm. was used in one book um, as a, called it a whitewash mm-hmm. right, of history. Exactly. Right? So, basically, they were trying to um, imply that this concept of white was utilized since the first days, you know, after the pilgrims landed, mm-hmm. right? And so um, there's another book called They Were White and They Were Slaves, The Untold History of Enslavement of Whites in Early America by Michael Hoffman II. Or excuse me, yeah, but Michael A. Hoffman II. And um, that book was fascinating to me. I remember reading that a couple of summers ago on Martha's Vineyard, which is a great place to be because there are educated black and white folks just basically, you know, really comfortably relaxing together, right? Mm. So I'm on the beach and I'm reading this book, which has pictures of a gang of men and women that they called transports. So that was their euphemism for sending people from England to the U.S. as slaves. They said they were transporting them to the colonies. Mm -hmm. So a gang of men and women transports being marched from Newgate to Blackfriars, right? And that's where they would basically get the boat to Mm -hmm. then come to America. Mm -hmm. And there are white people, not a black person among them, with petticoats and, you know, the same kind of, you know, old-fashioned hats that you see, you know, George Washington mm-hmm. and the founding fathers in with chains around their necks and chains around their ankles being walked across a, you know, beautiful, you know, marble with cobblestone, you know, building. Mm-hmm. And they're going basically to be sent to the colonies to be worked as slaves until they die. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was that the aristocracy was getting tired of so many poor people clogging, quote-unquote, clogging the streets of London. Mm. And so they, and this is what really turned people out as I was showing them this book on the vineyard, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that that's how you're meeting people at the beach. Is, is okay, the, right. the history reading nice little kind of chill <laughs> books, you know, summer reading books, right? And yeah. I'm reading, you know, they were white and they were slaves, right? Untold, <laughs> untold history yeah. of the enslavement of whites in early America. And people are like, what is that, right? And I'm like, just, you know, exclaiming and like, you know, goofing, right? Like, like what the, mm. what the, what? No. Great away, use right? of guffaw. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, and so one of the things that just totally tripped me out. So, you know, the the picture that we always see of African um, slave ships, right? Mm-hmm. With you know, clearly, you know, packed 
to the hilt, right? Like people chained ankle to ankle, you know, neck to neck, laid out, splayed out Mm -hmm. so that they have a minimal distance between each other, Mm -hmm. right? So this book talks about how, like, you know, if we keep the size of the ship the same, right? So a ship that was, you know, meant to have 100 people on it, right? These slave ships had 200 people on it, right? Right. 250, right? Mm -hmm. And so clearly that's a packed ship, right? But the ships that brought the poor whites to the colonies had 500 people on it. Crazy. So they because there was the the huge differential was that the aristocracy of England was paying were paying the shippers by the head mm. to remove the poor from Britain. So they got paid on the front end removing poor people from Britain. Well, it's also an it's an interesting point that you're raising too about kind of the you know one of the one of the big points that people try and allude to when they when they discuss the history of things like you know racism and slavery in the u.s is their their roots in financial systems and, ca- and capitalism and like earning money you know off of off of life and off of people's bodies and um and kind of the divide and conquer techniques that they work through by you know as as we were talking about like how things like white and these these nomenclatures that are created to div- divide us and separate uh, us, right? Not teaching yeah. the history of, of white enslavement as well. Right. Oh, yeah. No, and, and, and again, the reason that I went into this deep dive on the history of racism in America was because Donald Trump's campaign mm-hmm. has used it so skillfully, right? Mm-hmm. Because basically what you said is exactly true. Right? It's the same mechanism that, you know, enslaved poor whites that then whitewashed it over Mm -hmm. to call them indentured servants. And Mm -hmm. then there's a whole history of indentured servitude I'll get to in a minute Mm -hmm. that, you know, basically, you know, they changed the, they literally changed the rules in the colonies so that when people came over from England with their indentured servitude, you know, document that they signed says, you know, I'll be a a slave basically for four to seven years. Mm -hmm. They set up a whole system to extend that so that people basically died in indentured servitude. Right, exactly. So they never got out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we'll get into that a little more later, too. It, it, that was just crushingly horrible, right? But basically, it's all about the money, mm-hmm. right? So they needed slave labor because they had wealthy um, third and fourth sons, right? So that's important. Because the way that the wealth is passed down in um, Elizabethan um, England is the first son inherits the wealth from the father. All of it. All of it. And then it's up to him what to do with the rest of it for the rest of the siblings. You can kind of see why there was a lot of, you know, infighting between families during that time over money. Oh, yeah. You're a younger kid, you're not getting anything. (laughs) Right. And it was a really interesting thing. So it's like like the firstborn would get the money. Secondborn would typically go into the armed services or into the church or vice versa, Ooh. right? Depending on your family, right? And um, you know the the third, right, was just you know kind of shit out of luck, right? And the fourth, definitely, 
Second's kind of out of luck too. You're either going to war or celibacy. You're you're getting but no money. You're gonna be poor. But if you go to war and you are successful, true, then you can get a name for yourself, and then you can be a great person. You know, because of the name that you you know you basically make for yourself in battle, right? Wild. That's a lot harder route than just you know being born with the spoon in your mouth because you're the firstborn male. Exactly. What a wild lottery to win. But anyways, I'm sorry. It's a strange tangent, but it's it's, it's yeah, a crazy. Well, who came up with those rules? <laughs> yeah, no, dude. I'm telling you, it was fascinating to me as I'm reading this because mm-hmm. basically. So now think about it. So America was basically in its founding years, mm-hmm. largely developed by second, excuse me, third and fourth, you know, sons who could have the father's money, like father would give him some money, right, to come over here and start, you know, uh, a plantation over Mm -hmm. here, Mm -hmm. right? But they're pissed because you're leaving a highly developed, you know, (laughs) beautiful, you know, um, set of cities, right? France, you know, uh, has Paris, right? You've got, you know, all these beautiful old school, you know, wonderful houses and stuff right and you come over here and you're in swamps right and you're in, undeveloped right? land hot as hell, right? yeah and there's, there's no paved streets right, right? the wilderness they're, they're pissed right mm-hmm. but they're determined to make the best of it mm-hmm. right and so you know um they used poor white people first right mm-hmm. like like no question about it like and even there's the 16, or excuse me, um, the 1619 project, you know, that's, the uh, um, you know, when the first slave ship of blacks that came to America, mm-hmm. and that is a, you know, tremendous, you know, um, incident, right, that happened in world history, mm-hmm. but months before that was the first boat full of absolute slaves coming from um england that were children it was a whole boat full of white children came over and the reason that they came over is because the wealthy here in america were not happy with adults coming over right because they had to basically teach them you know and and beat them into being slaves because they remembered what it was like to be free Mm. in england so they're like, okay, we want children because it's easier to teach them to be slaves. Jesus. And the whole word kidnapping came from that, right? So basically, they would snatch kids off the streets and put them on the boats. Unreal. They would they would do unreal, horrible, you know, mm-hmm. arm twisting for parents who had like six, seven, eight kids. They would be like, okay, look, you need to give us two of these kids or we're throwing you out of this special housing thing or or your dad's going to lose his job with the Duke of such and such, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, yeah. So, and because they were getting, again, the whole system there, they were getting paid by the head to remove them. So they had, you know, catchers, right? Which basically were people that went through the cities to, to either trick people into signing indentured servitude you know, documents that they knew would be worthless when they got to the colonies or just literally tricked them into getting onto the boat and then locking them in the boat until it sailed. Mm. 
Well, what's even, you know, as sinister as that is, what's, what's even more daunting to me is the fact that while those things were a little bit more, I mean, they were pretty much backed by law, like you could do that stuff lawfully back then. It still happens today. It's just more backroom dealings, you know, but in, in different countries and even in our own, you know, we still see these same things happening to people, which is it's how humans can do this to each other is beyond me. Oh, yeah, no. And, and, and what people forget, it was like I think it was like read in the, the book, The New Jim Crow, that, there, that, that, that slavery is still legal in America. Exactly. Yep, 13th because Amendment. you talked about that. I heard you on the, oh, my God, that mm-hmm. was awesome. Yeah, that's Michelle was, Alexander, right? Say it again. New Jim Crow, that's Michelle Alexander, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's and, a very, very enlightening book. Yeah, so basically they're they're arresting people, putting them in jail so mm-hmm. that they can then do slave labor, paying them like, you know, $25 a day. Yeah. Or something, or an hour. You, right? yeah, like a penny an hour. Yeah, real it's Real products yeah. that are getting sold, and, you know, the people who are the middlemen are getting, you know, reimbursed for yeah. the slave labor. CU Boulder, the, the school I went to, the desks and chairs were made in prisons. Wait, where? CU Boulder. Really? Yeah, a lot of state schools um, get their stuff from from uh, prison labor, which is like you said, is slave labor. And to your point about you know these issues being you know across race, it's not it is disproportionately black and brown men and women who are more incarcerated. But these happen to white men and women too. I think it's I I, I forget the numbers exactly. I think it's a hundred eighteen one out of one hundred eighteen white men born after two thousand will go to prison, and then the numbers is one in three black men, one in three. One in eight Latino men. So wow, the numbers okay. are very right. skewed, but it happens to everyone. You know, it's these. I mean, it's it's very racially biased, but right. And and the thing is too, and I'm glad that you said that because you know, as black people, you know, we and black, you know, black and brown people, we definitely, you know, are up in arms as we should be about right. the you know percentages of us in jail, mm-hmm. right? And you know, doing having all these hard outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not over 50%. Mm. So it's still more poor white people are getting hosed every day mm-hmm. than poor black people. Well, that's exactly. I'm glad that you say that too, because I was kind of, I, I was waiting for the moment to say it as you were describing the history of it. But I think what a lot of people fail to, to recognize is like those same tactics that were used back then are being used on these same white people now. Like, I don't like it's crazy how like the the rhetoric around the police all these things like people are it's, the language is being used to trick and miseducate white people into not seeing like if they can do it to black and brown people they can do it to you too like if they're incarcerating one out of three black men born after 2000 you don't think they're gonna do that to your son eventually too like the indigenous people are saying it as well. Like, if they can do to the natives here, if they can commit genocide on the natives, you think they won't do it to you if you pose a threat to them in the future? Like, I don't oh, yeah. it's, well, it's unfortunate. And, and, and again, you're totally correct with that, but I'm saying something even slightly different. Right now, and every day since this country has been in existence, mm-hmm. even as the colonies, more white people have been enslaved mm. than black people. Mm. So even it's happening in the last now, hundred you're years since even since the founding of our country, you know, seventeen, you know, seventy six, right? More white slaves have been working our country than black ones. They just called them 
different things, right? Wow. So they called them indentured servants, yeah. but they were the property of the owner of the contract. No, it's true. And I, and I think they that's also... kill them, rape them, yeah. beat them, do everything that they did to black people. Well, I think that's a you know a a horrifying concept, which kind of just dawned on me as you were saying that is part of why, and this is a, a, a um, I'm sure something that you can that you've thought as well is like part of the reason that they might do, like all right, bear with me. This is the my theory. So, the numbers are obviously racially biased, right? Like in criminal, like black people and brown people are percentage wise are discriminated against. But I think that might also be part of the reason the insidious nature of it is to like kind of take away from the fact that they're doing it to white people too, so that white people are placated because they're racist now. They don't really they dehumanize these people. They're not going to see that it's also happening to you. Like what? Like you might be okay with black and brown people going to prison, but you're going to prison too, buddy. Like <laughs> it's, it's horrifying, yo. But, but that's the thing. I mean, I'm. That's 100% correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, it's dark. And, 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 and no question, that is the whole concept to me, the whole purpose about racism. So mm. I call racism the opioid of politics, right? Mm. Because opium, right, opioids, they don't cure what's hurting you. Mm. They just make you not feel it. Damn. They numb you to it. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Racism is the opioid of politics, right? It does not cure the fact that you don't have a job, then if they don't pass this CARES bill, right, mm-hmm. you're not going to lose your house, your mm-hmm. car, right, your family mm-hmm. status, right? You're going to lose all of that. But every time they say that more black people are getting COVID than white people, percentage-wise, right, that's a higher percentage, excuse me, higher percentage of black people get COVID and die than the percentage of white people that get COVID and die, right? And, you know, no question, that makes a poor white person even feel okay about COVID, right? Or at least not as bad about COVID. Yeah. But if you just do raw numbers, more Mm -hmm. white people are dying than black people. Right. God damn. See, that's the thing about, you know, it's one time I asked a professor, I asked one of my ethnic studies professors, uh, he was kind of explaining to me, I mean, oh, he was one of the many professors explaining to me kind of just the massive scope of, of the systems of oppression in the world. And at one point, I kind of was like, how did how do they rationalize? I mean, obviously, it's like through capitalism, like we discussed and like financial gain is kind of the rationale. But his words to me was like, we'll never try and rationalize something as irrational as racism. Like, you're never going to find out like how they can rationalize it to themselves. But I really, it, it, I cannot understand, even if you benefit financially from everyone being at each other's throats, how do you actually benefit from it? Like, you are oppressing yourself. You're destroying humanity. I don't well, understand but, it. But let me just say, and, and you know, I'm going to see if I can find the book where I read it, right? That as I've been studying it, there is a, a basic, you know, and I, and I hate to say it this way, but there is like a basic, you know, rationalization for racism, right? Mm-hmm. If you are the oppressor, right? Because basically the, 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 the reason that the oppressors do it is to take the view 
off of what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And so, you know, at the end of the Civil War, for example, right, um, the reason that, you know, scholars are picking that point is because before that, there were still a lot of, you know, different, you know, ethnicities and different, you know, um, they had started to, you know, build the kind of white race thing. But, you know, if you were poor in the South or poor in the North, you were getting hosed, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and one of the things that I just learned is that, you know, because you had to pay for slaves, when you pick them up from the shores of Africa, like you had to purchase them, mm-hmm. right? So that design that we see in the slave in the slave books was actually a patented design to maximize the survival rate for the maximum number of um, people mm-hmm. being transported. Mm-hmm. So hear that, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, they wanted to maximize the number of people that could be transported. No, no doubt. They wanted the most right. people coming across as they could, mm-hmm. right? But they wanted to also maximize the survival rate. Right, make sure they actually get there. Right, because unlike poor whites in in England, right, you don't get paid by the head when you put them on your ship. So they mm-hmm. were putting 500 poor white folks on the ship. Yeah. Because they didn't care if the survival rate was over 50, if the, if the survival rate was under 50%. Right. They were they were expecting it, right? Then mm-hmm. they had more room, right, for the others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that people just died, right? Because yeah. they got their money up front. Whoever survived, they then sold them just like they sold black people up mm-hmm. on the stocks, you know, walking them around, looking at their gums, you know, checking out what kind of muscularity they had. Same exact procedures that they would later do for blacks right they did they started this off with poor whites and if you survived and still had you know some type of health then people you know bid on you and purchased you as their slave right and they they basically ripped up the indentured servitude agreements a lot of them in the yeah beginning, right and they would do the loans too, right? They would also do like the land loans. They're kind of doing something similar in uh, in parts of Africa now with with property, where they would they would kind of give you a as as far as indentured servants. I re- I remember something like it was they would give you a plot of land that you would then pay back through service. But it would be the type of thing where with the supplies that you need and everything, they'd put you in more debt and more loan to the point that you could never get out. And they're doing yes. that right now. China's doing that in parts of Africa like Algier where they'll buy land for that increases in, in like they can't pay back the loan. And so by a certain time, if you haven't paid back the loan, then China owns the land. And so they're kind of, oh. yeah, it's really dark. <laughs> so they're making people basically, oh my Yeah, gosh. so they're buying so up. People are working the land, yeah. getting the land in shape to, to actually be profitable. Yeah. And then they kick them off and because then in, they haven't repaid. Exactly. Them. Yep. That's they're doing it with like ports and because you know eventually not, the land isn't going to be arable in most parts of the world. Um, so places like you know China and I'm sure the U.S. is doing it too. We just don't know it. They're buying up places in Africa, um, basically like ensuring that when they run out of water, they have some more on the continent of Africa. It's really messed up. Oh, 
was horrible. Yeah. Okay. I don't yeah, know what's up with know. humanity, man. I don't know why we do this to each other. Why we can't all just be a little bit more socialist, a little bit more communist, and just kind of help each other out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, like, so those words have definitely been soiled. Yes, right? like, totally. Like, those are negative words. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, um... Oh man, I'm so upset that I can't remember the title of this one right now. But I um, have been um, introduced to um, to a man, um, and he basically is a entrepreneur. He teaches entrepreneurship. Cool. John Whitman. John Whitman. And and um, basically, he preaches a whole different type of business model. That, you know, um, basically just says that, you know, it's not going to be vulture capitalism as we are used to, right? Mm -hmm. And that it'll control the number of multiples between the lowest paid employee in a company and the um, CEO, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not going to be thousands of times, right? And that basically you distribute the... um, the profits, right, and the and the um, you know the benefits of the com- of the company more equitably right. through the people who actually make the product, yeah, supply the service, mm-hmm. right, like you know, like like that to me is not a you know communist you know nobody will ever work hard you know because it's all equal kind of thing, yeah, that makes everybody work hard, right, because everybody knows that they're gonna get. Um, direct benefit if the product is great, right? Versus if the product is good. Exactly. Right? So you don't just come it increases to work, just incentive. To work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my bottom line is going to change if I make this great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it incentivizes you to take stock in the company because you know if the company succeeds, that you're going to succeed. That you're going to do, you're not just sweeping the floor hoping that you know if they don't fire you for some random reason like this whole this whole kind of like financial system setup that we have um even like and in in government too the fact that money is still in politics i mean it's never going to change until enough politicians are willing this is the sad thing too right like the people that would have to write the laws that would change the system benefit from the system that we have right now so why would they change it it's like Oh man, what is so during your studies? I want to ask you this: while while you were studying this kind of this history of racism and 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 how it you know it affects all of us, and and that's something that I said in one of my classes as well, right? I was like, when my teacher said that about trying to rationalize irrational rationality, what I realized is like, the the oppressor, while they're being the oppressor, right? They don't understand that they themselves are the they're oppressed as well because if you're over here oppressing someone. How could you ever truly be happy? How how could you ever actually like, you know, live a full and and a happy life when it's on the neck of someone else? You know, you're standing on someone's back. Like you're not gonna actually be. You might be able to convince me that you're happy, but when I I know when you die and if there's an afterlife, that is not gonna be a pleasant experience for you. You know. But see, so then I would just argue this, right? right? Mm -hmm. So as a psychiatrist, right? I see a whole bunch of different personalities coming mm. through my door, right? Mm-hmm. And it also allows you to, you know, make assessments of other people even that don't walk through your door. So I'll just say one quickly, right? Okay. Donald Trump, right? People like Donald Trump 
absolutely believe that, you know, there might be an afterlife, but I'm doing this life to the fullest. Yeah. Right? Mm. And he doesn't care that he cheats. He doesn't care that he does not pay professional working white men Mm -hmm. the money that he owes them when they do business with him as he, you know, does anything, right? Like, like there's a whole, you know, bunch of men that have been cheated by him for doing work in Trump Towers all over the world. Yeah. Right? That he just refuses to pay because he has enough attorneys on, you know, on 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 pay, right, on, on a chain, basically, that just stretch it out for so long that if you're a small businessman, you just give up, right? Yeah. Like, you should just be happy to have done something you know built a beautiful stairwell for a trump tower right you shouldn't want all the money that you you know said you needed yeah and meanwhile they're like having to fire people because they can't afford their payroll because they didn't get the money they were supposed to get right exactly he doesn't care yeah he doesn't care when you're a narcissist it's all about you Mm. you think that you would diagnose him with narcissism oh just no question. I'm glad. Like, and, and and his 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 niece, who was a psychologist, right? So yeah. Psychologists get a PhD in psychology. Right. Right. So they get a master's and a PhD in psychology. Psychiatrists like myself, you know, we will tech. You know, technically you don't have to, but generally, you know, major in psychology in undergrad, and then choose you know um, psychiatry as your um, specialty after you've gone through medical school. And that's what you did. You know, done everything so i've done brain surgeon delivered brain surgery you know delivered babies you know work doing derm plastics but you know you, so you see the body in a holistic kind of way but you're also just focusing on the mind and 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 no question he's a narcissist yeah yeah oh and, and so getting back just jumping back really quickly to what i was talking about mm-hmm. about um the slave ships right mm-hmm. so if you're a narcissist and all you care about is making money, you want to pack that boat as packed as you can. Yeah. So, you know, 500 right, heads on that boat with no place to move, right? Mm-hmm. Barely, right? You don't care if half of them, if over half of them die. So it was, it was usual for more than 50% of them to die on the three-month boat ride. Just think about that. Yeah. And so the ones that did survive, right, if you had enough, you know, meat on your bones still for people to want to purchase you, they would purchase you. But if you didn't, ready for this? Mm. They would sell you by the pack. So they'd put like 10 together and sell you by the pound. Unreal. And sometimes the price of hog meat would be a higher price than the price of living poor whites that survive the trip over per pound. See, this is why I hope there's an afterlife because there has to be some sort of divine punishment for people that would do that to, a, to you know, people and animals. I mean, you bring up the hog part. Like, I, I, I will say, like, it's not as insidious to me, but the way that our factory farms treat animals is diabolical. 
just yeah. throwing them in grinders and and treating them like they're just nothing. I mean, like these research labs where we just test things on animals. Like, what is wrong with humanity, man? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So my scientific part has to come in. So I mean, you know, as long as they're doing it, you know, ethically and you know, agreed. Humanely, agreed. Know, get, what do you want them to test it on people first? No, no. But I, but yes, I agree with that. If it's if it's ethical and humane, but even that, right? Like the word humane is is a great example of that. Just the word we use to describe being ethically like moral is right. to, to treat them like they're a person. Look at how we treat people. We cram them on boats and sell them by the pound. Like, we can't even treat ourselves. I mean, it's just, and, and this is, a, I guess, a question for you as a medical professional. Like, with people like narcissism, narcissism and people that can inflict this kind of pain on people, like, do, have you seen, I mean, I guess, have you seen is a, is a loaded question because I don't know if you can answer something like that, but, like, is it possible for those people to change or for like a Donald Trump to develop a conscious consciousness, well, like. Well, so so basically, so I'm just gonna say it this way. Right? Okay. So, for a narcissist to really change, they have to feel the pain of whatever it is themselves. Mm. So, on a side note, right? When I heard that Donald Trump, you know, had supposedly had, you know corona right. right so let me just say that you know as a scientist first right i doubted that he even had it yeah right? because i knew that what he would do if he lied and said he had it was that he would be cured quickly and he would come out saying that you know it was nothing you can go through it you know and he'd look even more macho like the president of um brazil did mm. right so the president or the prime minister of England, right, he went through it and nearly went on the um, ventilator. Yeah. And he came out a changed man because, you know, one of the persons that was caring for him, oh, and I wonder, I wish I could remember what country, but yeah, I think it was from some South American country, right, basically risked his own life, right, which is what our, you know, essential medical workers do. Yeah to keep him alive and he came out like you know what we need to have a different thought on this immigration thing and you know these really are heroes right? really yeah wow he's he softened up so i was i was secretly wishing that the donald would actually truly have it yeah fight as hard as he could to not go on the ventilator because you know I don't want him to die. Let me just say that. Yeah. I don't want him to die because yeah. you know, clearly even even you know best case, right? He becomes a martyr. Yeah. Right? And, you know, then his son, you know, takes up, right? And right. they still believe the same things they were believing before. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want him to live, right? But I want him to fight as hard as he could to not go on the ventilator and lose that fight. Yeah. Go on the ventilator and have his life dependent on a machine and per and preferably come off the ventilator after all the ballots are counted so there can't be any shenanigans yeah right, right. oh my goodness right? yeah but that's a side note right yeah right so so technically speaking narcissists really only change when they feel the pain of whatever it is right because yeah. so, if he really because if he went through that trust me he would be feeling much different. He'd be like, 
you know, COVID-19 is the worst thing ever. Yeah. Because right? he speaks in, you know, extremes. Yeah, right? and because he'll have, no, he'll have known the feeling. And that's, you know, honestly, uh, as a side tangent, um, that's unfortunately the argument that I've had to give people in relation to, like, kind of viewing their own ignorance and, and biases. Like, with my grandma, I, I love her, right? But she'll say things to me where I can understand that she doesn't get why, let's say that there's rioting going on with the protests that are happening over black people being murdered by police. And my point was to her, Grandma, what if it was me? What if I got shot in the street over nothing? You'd burn down some shit too. And that, like, I, and I, and I honestly hate having to make that argument though because it shouldn't take putting yourself in someone else's shoes. You should be able to sympathize already. Unfortunately, some people need it, but like, it's sounding to me like there is a deep narcissism in our society that right. people can't seem to like see these issues as, until it happens to them, which is unfortunate that it has to come to that. Well, so great that you just mentioned that. So there's this concept in mental health called the other, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically, if you can make someone the other, right, and not you, it's easy to then objectify them as some object that's different from you. Mm. And if you can think about someone as different from you, it's easier to act as if they're not you Mm. and to do things you wouldn't do to you. Damn. Right. And so, and, and, and what that really goes back to is now those poor whites arriving on the shores. Like, so there were, there were 12 indentured servants slash slaves on the Mayflower. People don't talk about that. No, right? they don't. And so um, people with money feel like the other white people without money, this is from the Mayflower on, right, mm-hmm. are different than them. Mm. And so they had no problem working poor whites to death in their fields because they were of a different class, mm. right? So the, the whole class status in um england and europe you know in general makes people you know feel like they are other right yeah like the, the poor other like in, in india right the untouchables right yeah well and, but, and here know, too trump is a master of using that other techniques he, he says things like the mex the mexicans the african-americans he's he, right. he uses that duh so flawlessly in his way of manipulating people oh no question no question, no question, and um, and and um, Trump is to me a narcissist and an opportunist mm. because when he was young, right, and wanting to you know play the high life in New York, he had no problem hanging out with you know um, the cool people of New York, right? So hip hop, you know. Um, rock, mm-hmm. you know, um, whoever was hot, he was hanging out with them. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, um, you know, they helped him then, so he used them, right? If you can help a narcissist, the narcissist thinks you're their best friend, but the moment that you change over, then you're their enemy. Right. Mm. And I think that in addition, Trump has, you know, borderline personality disorder, too. And the way that I describe that is 
imagine like one of those steel buckets, right? Okay. Um, that you bring water out of the, you know, pond with, right? Mm-hmm. So you dip it in, you fill it up with water, you're holding the handle, right? It's full of water. And then someone shoots it with a shotgun so that it's full of holes, mm. right? And all the water starts pouring out. Mm-hmm. So in order to keep that bucket full, you have to keep filling it with water. Mm. So if you think about the bucket now as being his, you know, psyche, his, his, you know, ability to keep himself together and feel like he is a human worthy of love and worthy of, you know, involving others in his life symbiotically or, you know, equally and, you know, you know, the complete human, right? Yeah. His bucket has holes all in it. Mm. So unless you're filling the bucket, he feels empty. So when when we you know when people aren't filling the bucket, he empties out, and that's why he's doing these you know <laughs> these super spreader you know um, political. Um, I'm gonna call him sticks, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not even really you know a political meeting. He's doing his shtick. Yeah. Right, and and what's really funny is a lot of people that they don't talk about this much go to like fifty of them. Like you know, they're going from state to state following him. Right. So it's not even like it's a new set of people all the time. I mean, clearly there are you know lots of new people, but there's like it's it's almost like the Grateful Dead. You know, yeah, right. There were deadheads that it's would just go around. Like you know, I don't know what percentage of the group is like that. But he has, like, you know, Grateful Dead followers like that. Like, excuse me for, I, I love the Grateful Dead. I don't mean to equate them. He, yeah, 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 yeah. But similar. <laughs> he has deadheads. He has Trump heads. That's the point, right? Yeah. Yeah, Trump heads. Yeah. Right? Damn. And, and so, no question, you know, that's him. Well, so, and, oh, continue. Okay. Sorry, I'll ask you a question after, but continue. I'm sorry. Okay. And so, so I was just going to finish it off with the, um, with the, early poor whites in America. Okay. So they are the ones that basically cleared most of the forests, Mm -hmm. right. For the farms that are in, you know, um, you know, Massachusetts and, um, you know, um, you just all of new England, right. So Mm -hmm. Connecticut, you know, um, Delaware. And so those people basically, were either duped into come most of the people were either duped into coming they were people that were in the jails they were people that were in the insane asylums like literally england dumped people into the colonies if you were oh this is where i wanted to get to if you were saying things against the king or the queen even if you were an upper nobleman they would grab you try you and it'd be like a you know bilbo bar kind of court right and put you on a ship and send you to the colonies so there were instances where people working in the field used to be you know noblemen in england Mm. and now they're working side by side with you know the poor and the convicts and whoever else had were forced to make that trip. 
And there were a couple of famous ones that, you know, people were able to convince someone that they were really noblemen and that they would be paid lavishly if they snuck them back to England, right? Mm -hmm. And that happened a couple of times, right? And, and a couple of them wrote books and explained it all and got arrested again and sent back. Unreal. <laughs> right? So, you know, so, you know, did you catch my little Bill Bar, Bill mm -hmm. Bo Bar? Yeah, I did. Court. <laughs> <laughs> I did catch so that. When you, when you got courts like that, right? You can't, you know, there's, there's no real democracy. And that's, and to me, that is what I fear the most, right? That they're going to so effectively use the other and racism that, you know, you basically fool poor white folks into feeling like they're a part of the wealthy's plan, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's where I was getting to, right? So 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 at the end of the day, small town America to me mm -hmm. were the plantations that the wealthy put white people on, white folks on to work. Mm -hmm. Because after the Civil War, they wouldn't allow blacks to work in the factories. The factories became the new plantations. And by giving them a job, right, you elevated them over blacks who they would not, you know, allow to work in the factories. Mm. And so that was able, that's how racism really set in, because now you have even poor whites feeling like they're a part of the team of wealthy whites. Mm -hmm. And that whole, you know, to me, pack right so that was the pack that wealthy whites made with poor whites after the civil war all right everybody i'm sure you're curious to know where that conversation was going to go i'm so excited for you the second part tune in tomorrow to hear the next edition we got this is a three-part series with dr williams again thank you so much man for doing this with me it's fucking incredible and i'm so eager to put out the next episode i hope you guys enjoyed this one check out the next one and i'll see you all tomorrow for the first three-part series we've ever done here and thank you all for rocking with me. And don't forget, if you like the show, like, comment, subscribe. But at the end of the day, thank you for listening. That's all that really matters. Have a great rest of your night, everybody. Thank you all so much. Mm -hmm.